Welcome to the Grow Podcast. My name is John King, and I am the, co- uh, the host of the Grow Podcast for the agronomy segment. Uh, today, we're going to talk a lot about you know what's happening in the overall uh, fertilizer and chemical markets, and then we're going to kind of bring it up with our, our agronomic team to talk about what we're seeing in the field initially right now on some early yield results, and then kind of rounding up what we saw in August with some of the dry temperatures um, and how those crops finished. Um, you know, so I'm going to have Dan and Brad here with me to talk about that. And then finally, we're going to kind of finish with talking a little bit about our Proco product and why it's so important for you here at this fall. All right. So looking at the market update, you know, this is my favorite part of the podcast because it's really me getting to explain to everybody, you know, what's happening in the markets, where we're seeing them going. Um, you know, overall, the fertilizer markets from really back in June um, when I when I had Josh on the podcast with us, or maybe it was July, um, we talked a lot about the value, the, in, the inherent value for the farmer to be buying uh, for fertilizer products for this fall, getting them down and then, you know, selling grain against it. You know, we're, from where we're at, we were there to where we're at today. You know, those pri- prices have moved up pretty significantly for the exception of potash. Um, you know, and I would say urea's yo-yoed around. But, um, you know, back then, a lot of our call out or call to action was, you know, get with your local retailer, get with your, your account lead or your growth solution center specialist here at Landis and really talk about, you know, what prices we had, getting them locked in and looking at that. Um, you know, for the most part, I would say everybody listened to us. We probably have the biggest sales book we've ever had at this part of the fall. Um, so, that, you know, it really showed the, you know, opportunity to, to acquire uh, affordable crop nutrition products and, and really position yourself for the best opportunity to grow big yields next year. The other thing I would say is it's um, when you look at overall affordability, you know, we got products to the point where they're extremely affordable back in July. Um, and really spurred that grower market to, to come forward and buy that stuff. So, you know, where we're at today. So I look back, you know, July, very good opportunity for farmers to buy. Where we're at today is, is maybe a little bit of a different scenario. Obviously, we've seen corn and soybean prices come off quite a bit. But the other part about that is we've seen fertilizer prices drift quite a bit higher. Um, the one that I look at that's drifted the most higher is ammonia. Um, you know, I look back to two months ago, three months ago, four months ago, sitting in here and saying, and really talking to everybody about, hey, when when retailers come out with ammonia prices, don't bleak, just buy. Um, for the most part, everybody did that. Today, where we're at is we're at a prices that are probably, they're not as high as anything. They're still affordable relative to what we've been used to with thousand plus dollar ammonia, but retail values are somewhere in the $700, 750, 760, somewhere around that um, compared to, you know, $250 less when I would say really when it first came out, you know, in that 500 to 550 range. So, you know, when we look at where the market is today um, versus then, it's it's really evaluated immensely to the upside. And a lot of that just has to do purely to grower demand. Um, the other side of that too is we saw um, a big uptick in overall global prices. So when we, when we look back to June pricing um, globally, we were probably at a a point where we were hitting three-year lows, um, and overall the global market reacted to that and began buying a lot of ammonia. So what we had happening there was um, a lot of people stepping in and, and restarting some of their you know industrial capacity, whether it be on um, chemical production or you know even just some finished good stuff um, that consumers buy. A lot of people began restarting some of their production lines that were down when we had thousand dollar ammonia costs because they were not cost competitive anymore. You know, I think when I look at the ammonia market now, the biggest watch out um, to the upside or to the downside is really how much do we get on this fall? 
Um, we know across central Iowa, western Iowa, eastern Iowa, even most of Illinois, we've been extremely dry. Um, I'm sitting here on the 25th of September. We had some nice rains here last week, um, but that's not going to be enough to really get us to that next level of where we have the ability to seal products and, and, and really um, get ammonia to really work in the, in the soil like we want it to for fall application. The other thing is, um, from my time at Landis the last three years, I have never seen as big a window to put down ammonia as I have these last three years. Um, you know, to say that we're always going to be that lucky to run ammonia past Thanksgiving, um, I have a hard time to believe, but I hope we do this year. Um, so, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is when you're looking at it, for those that have got really good locked-in prices, be looking to get that stuff down. Ask If you have to, ask your retailer to help you get it down. Um, you know, we're in a pretty opportune position right now to, to uh, have a really nice fall run as long as the weather abides by it. And uh, for those that are, are maybe need some help getting it down, don't be afraid to ask um, and make sure your stuff gets down. The other product that's really had a, a big time increase has been phosphates. Um, when I look at the phosphate market, you know, there's a lot of dynamics happening there. Um, obviously, for those that have been listening, we had our countervailing duties that have um, were enacted probably two and a half, three years ago that eliminated the ability for Moroccan phosphates and Russian phosphates to come to the United States due to d dumping issues. Um, when you look at that, you know, I'm going to say two to three years out now, the uh, Department of Commerce has now sent that back to the International Trade Commission to reevaluate those duties. A lot of the reason we've seen prices spike is purely due to our limited ability to source product from the rest of the world. The United States, as a producer of phosphate, has been going down for the last 10 years consistently. We're not producing anymore. We're never going to produce more than what we did 10 years ago. We're probably never going to produce more than what we did last year. So, you know, as we continue to see this drop in phosphate productions, our production here domestically, we're going to have to source it globally from those that are producing it. And unfortunately today, until we open up uh, supply coming from Morocco, Morocco has 500 years of phosphate supply. They are going to be the world leader in phosphate production for as long as, you know, as long as phosphate's produced. You know, what the... What, the, what has happened now with the countervailing duties going back to the International Trade Committee, they have three to six months to either say, we are going to lower the tariff on Moroccan phosphates or completely eliminate them. Uh, my opinion, since they are going back to them, there's going to be significant reduction in either, either overall tariff prices or completely re removing them completely. Um, for us in the U.S. market, that would be a huge win for overall phosphate price stability. Today, we're probably $150 a ton uh, premium to the, to the Brazilian market for overall phosphate prices because all of that Moroccan and Russian product continues to flow there. Um, really, they're, getting, they're bombarding that market because it's really their only market they can go to. So when you look at it you know, as you know, a, you know, an advocate for our U.S. farmers, um, all it's doing, these duties are doing, is they're making the Brazilian farmer more competitive globally with the ability to source affordable phosphates. So, um, you know, you, you have our commitment at Landis. We are we're very vocal about, you know, getting some of this uh, duty lowered or completely removed just to allow a little bit more of a free trade market to, to surface here. You know, and lastly, what I would say on the overall UAN market is probably the next one. That's probably the biggest one as a grower. If you still have not locked in UAN for spring, that's something you really need to start evaluating as um, the opportunity, the prices are up 
significantly from where they were. We're probably looking at a $100 increase on UAM prices, but they're still at a 50% discount to last year. So overall, when we look at it, you know, that's something everybody needs to be a little bit more mindful of. Yes, prices are up, but UAM prices are still drastically different than what they were last year. The biggest thing I would say on UAM prices um, and where they're at, urea is still a pretty big premium to UAN. So there's really no room for that price to move down. Urea has to do all the work to the downside to get UAN to, to move further down. And what I really think what we've created is a very stable UAN market moving forward with limited downside, but probably not a ton of upside either. Um, so therefore, you know, when you're looking at it, it's probably something you want to look at. Um, you know, if you picked up some ground and you don't have enough fall ammonia booked yet, I probably wouldn't be looking at booking additional fall fertilizer today. I'd get down what you got, and I would look for an opportunity in spring to buy something probably less than today, especially on ammonia. Okay, pivoting for a couple more minutes I got left. Uh, we're going to talk about chemical markets. If you're a grower listening to me today, the chemical market is giving you an opportunity to really lower your costs on your overall chemical expenses. Um, we have seen pretty drastic downside in base glyphosate prices, base glufosinate prices, bifenthrin, uh, generic uh, fungicides, um, you know, really metallochlors. All these products that have been very high, hard to get the last few years, um, that market has completely shifted in th the last three months to where everybody has inventory and everybody wants to get rid of inventory. So, you know, if I'm a grower today, I'd be very, very pointed on wanting to know my alternatives for buying chemicals, okay? There's a lot of good branded opportunities. There's a lot of good generic opportunities. My opinion is, is you want to fit yourself into the middle with a little bit of both, lower your cost on some of the branded stuff, but also still maintain some of the premium products that are out there in the market that truly deserve that premium in the market. So um, those are the biggest things I would say from my overall market update that I'd be paying attention to. Um, and as always, uh, feel free to give me a call or anybody at the Grow Solutions Center to um, talk further about you know, what we're seeing and how we can get you efficiently supplied for next year. Uh, with that, we're going to kind of move over to and bring uh, Dan and Brad in and talk about uh, what we're seeing out there in the field. All right, now for our portion that we always love, I love bringing in Brad and Dan for um, kind of our agronomic roundup. Um, you know, I think with this point of the year, you know, it's sitting here uh, September 25th, we've got combines rolling in central Iowa. Um, you know, from a lot of what we look at the numbers on harvest progress here in the in in, uh, in Des Moines here at the for the grain guys, we're about eight percent of harvest underway, so we're just kind of touching into it. Uh, but obviously, we're getting some early yield, uh, you know, yield results back, and it's being uh, it's probably a little bit better than what I would have thought. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and kind of an overall, you know, what we're seeing in, from uh, fall field uh, harvest notes. Uh, and then we're really going to dive into a lot about uh, fall fertility plans. You know, that's kind of right at the center of what we're doing right now with, um, you know, getting ready to get in the field, start spreading dry, dry. You know, when I look at the overall book of business that we have at Landis, we're really good. We have a bunch of dry fertilizer sales on the books. Um, obviously, our customers looked at the yield results that they thought they were going to have and wanted to prepare for that. So um, good time to kind of give some pointers and recommendations on what we're seeing. So, you know, guys, kind of looking at the past, we're going to do a little bit of the look at the past. And this is really a great example for our farmers while you're in the combine. Grab a little notebook, write down some notes of what you're seeing as you're harvesting. But, you know, I think one of the key things that we all kind of were, were talking about amongst ourselves um, prior to getting ready to, to, to do the podcast today was weed control. And 
you know, there's been varied results on weed control across our entire geography. And um, really want you guys to kind of give your opinion on, you know, what should growers be thinking about if they had poor control this year or varied results? And, you know, what is an evaluation that they need to be making, making for next year? Yeah, I think one of the things that it's an opportune time to make note of when you're in the combine, looking at the fields and the weed control in particular, did you have any escapes? It's a great time to make note of it. So after harvest, you can kind of go back, circle back and evaluate what worked, what didn't work. Was it the rate? Was it the timing? Was it the nozzle setup that we were using the tips? Seeing very differences in that. Uh, and then I think part of it might be the opportunity to discern if there a resistance issue coming up. Mm -hmm. So just make those notes. A lot of the uh, software packages that we have today give you the ability to drop a note or put a pin on it on the go. But now is a great opportunity, a great time to make those notes and observations as you're going across the field. Yeah, and I would say early initial results. I mean, obviously, you look back to July, June, June time frame. We had a lot of growers that were not super impressed with their overall um, herbicide plans. Um, you know, one thing that I think that we're really you know, very committed to doing here right now is trying to evaluate what the right setup is. Um, you know, whether it's corn or whether it's beans, um, you know, this year I probably had more remarks on corn that I've had in a long time on poor weed resistance. And at the end of the day, Callisto by itself is not a, is not a good strategy on corn. Um, you know, I think we continue to look at, obviously dicamba is a big thing that we always talk about in a negative term, but I think we're at the point where, you know, we're back to dicamba on corn. And if you really want to have success on spraying weeds, you're going to have dicamba and corn. Um, you know, when I look at prices, you know, as in next, next spring on beans, it's enlist and Liberty. You know, that's kind of my opinion of where we're going to have to go to. Those prices are less than half of what they were a year ago. So, you know, those are the big opportunities. Um, you know, Dan, I've just kind of got You've been obviously out in the fields a bunch. What's what's some of your remarks that you're continuing to see? Well, I'm going to uh, shift just um, a bit. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about soybeans, but um, uh, we just had results from Farnville, Farnville Research Plot. And fascinating because where we did the high yield, higher input side, we averaged 82 bushels. Yep. Fantastic in a year like this year. Just across the road where we had our plot and we had 38 varieties, we averaged in the 70s, so there's that difference. But then within that plot, we had 12 bushel differences between some of the Peking and some of the PI-88. And right in the area where we found the cysts, June 9th, and we reported that to everyone and said, hey, we're finding cysts in 9 out of 10 plants. It's becoming a reality, guys. Um, that soybean cyst nematode is having an impact on the PI-88s. And and managing that, not only with using Peking, but there are other seed treatments and there are other products that help to reduce the cyst count. But cysts are going to be the number one stress that we have to focus on. If we're going to, if we're going to get bean yields above 50 bushels, and there have been some guys that are getting 50, 55, and then in the same area where in our high yield where we put, you know, we put several products to it, and some will be available next year, yep. um, uh, up to 80. So there are differences, and he will pays attention to the details. As as Iowa State coach says, you win in the margins sometimes. You win in doing the process, um, uh, like Saturday's game. Well, 
that's kind of what we saw with this result. I think at the end of the day, what we've been able to prove this year is beans are something that if you're not going to invest in that crop, then you're going to you're going to settle for 50 to 60 bushel beans. He who spends the money on them is going to be the one that takes it from 80 to 90 bushel beans because you know a lot of the initial. I'm going to say bean yields that we've got, especially in that, I'm going to call it that Highway 141 corridor where we had really nice rains for the most part of the year. Um, the guys that were very high management on those beans are similar, seeing something very similar in that 81, 82, 83 bushel beans versus, again, somebody that, you know, didn't maybe do the extra nutritionals, um, you know, the higher dollar seed treatments, stuff like that. You know, when you really put it on a true ROI, you know, those products are costing you less than a bushel of beans. Every every instance you go out there, it's you're spending less than a bushel of beans. But anybody will spend less than a bushel of beans to get a 10 to 1 return on that. And I think really when I look at it and what we're trying to build for next year with the products that are coming out of Boone, um, the products that we're recommending is it's a systematic approach to high-yield beans. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that. So, you know, mark your calendars. We're going to spend a lot of time on that with the two individuals in here about what is that systematic approach on beans to extract high yield beans. Um, wasn't there a new record set here a couple of weeks ago uh, for 200 bushel beans in Georgia? Again, they got to it because it's under irrigation. They're, they're throwing everything under the sun at it. But I can guarantee you that return on 200 bushel beans is better than anything they spent on it. So that's the exciting part that we have and that, that we're bringing within our acre edge lineup of of products that we can really affect bean yields for sure. And John, I think anybody that hauls beans into Ralston, yeah. which is a very, it's very profitable, uh, both for our customers and for land itself. Anybody that hauls into Ralston needs to come to the series of meetings we're gonna have after the first of the year, looking at how do you improve yields? If we improved yields, five bushels an acre, yep. the return on that ROI is huge and we can do it. We're, we're seeing it in uh, some of these preliminary results in Farnhamville um, and then in, in other areas. And um, we haven't even brought them all the exciting new products yet. Correct. We just started to test them. So this is an exciting time to be growing soybeans. Well, and I think the biggest thing is, is when you see the shift too, you know, obviously we talk about it a lot on the grain podcast, any meeting we have as a company, when people come in, we talk about all this new crush demand that's coming to the United States. That is going to require us to increase our average bushels per acre significantly to keep up with the demand that we're going to see. So, you know, I think those are the biggest things long term that we really got to focus on is, you know, how do we extract the total amount of margin out of beans as much as possible? You know, so when we really look at, at some of the other things, issues that we saw this year is overall crop standability has been a huge issue. Um, I, again, in my time at Landis, I don't think I've ever talked about rootworm issues as much as I have this year. Even with a lot of the new genetics that are out from some of the hybrid companies, we're still seeing a lot of issues. So, you know, when you guys are out there evaluating some of these products, like what are you seeing? What's some of the, you know, what's some of the mentality that guys have to have when they come into next year on rootworm controls? There is no easy button to push. And in a lot of cases, we understand, you know, if a person has livestock, you're kind of tied into the corn. You have to have the feed. But in those situations, and you, if you know you've got um, rootworm pressure, especially heavy rootworm pressure, and you're corn on corn because you have to be, the trade alone probably is not going to keep you yeah. protected enough. Keep in mind, under those really heavy pressure levels, the rootworm still has to take a bite out of that root. And so you're going to have the opportunity for more disease to get in there. You're going to have root pruning, some of those 
problematic issues that come up later season standability, compromised stock quality. You know, we're already starting to see a lot of that out in the fields. Dan's been out in all the plots doing a great job collecting data on uh, different hybrids and, and their stock strength later in the season. We've got some great uh, spectral imagery that we took of all of our plots where we can really see late season which of the hybrids and varieties were able to tolerate the dry stress conditions, which didn't. So it'll be really interesting to get back to yield data and then overlay that. But when it comes to the rootworm, there is no easy button. Yeah. In those situations where a person's really kind of tied to the grain, you have to have the grain for the livestock, and you're having some issues, and maybe it's yield or standability or uh, other issues, now is the time to think about what the plan or what are the needs for next year. Maybe it's going to be an insecticide in addition to the traded product. That would be my recommendation. I look at it, you know, and you see all this extended diapause situations and soybeans going to corn. You know, a lot of everybody's been, I would say most everybody's looked at it as like, you know, the way to get rid of rootworms is just rotate it. I, my personal opinion is, one, there is some new technology coming out for infra-liquid insecticide. Um, BSF has a new product coming out called Nerisma. Um, it's a new frack group. It's, it's an opportunity to evaluate new products. Not going to be cheap by any means. I mean, I'm just going to say it now. It is not going to be cheap, but it's trying to solve a solution that is pretty tough right now. The other side of it, too, is when I look at it is even if you're planting a SmartStacks Pro, a Vore Seed, you know, some of these high caliber uh, under uh, below ground um, opportunities, generic liquid bifenthrin as an opportunity to just help beat them back a little bit more, it is going to be ridiculously cheap. You know, so you think about a six dollar an acre inferral application to just help beat back rootworms i mean to me it's like whether it's an am whether it's rotated whatever it may be why not i mean the cost to, to yield drag versus the cost of application is so significant um that i think it's something that you know really controlling rootworms to me long term is it's just a it's a managed approach of top genetics okay you got to plant the best hybrids to keep them back Infra liquid insecticide or insecticide period could be dry insecticide and hitting them again at tassel. I mean, that's the only way I think we're going to continue to really beat back those numbers is we have to have a mentality that we're treating rootworms at every opportunity. John, your comment about genetics is, is, is really key because I spent so much time as Brad uh, mentioned in plots the last three weeks and measuring differences in plant health. Uh, even when, um, Fungicide was utilized, and then digging up plants and looking at root types. Um, it may not sound like much, but just a bigger rooted product that has a better chance to uh, regenerate roots after yeah. uh, they've been fed on. And I also think the individuals that used uh, growth regulators like Radiate yes. to build just that little bit uh, better root. It's, it's the few things that we do in addition that makes sometimes a difference between a plant standing and a plant falling over. Well, I'd say that almost falls a little bit into the bean cycle as well, where you're seeing a lot of this nematode issues. I mean, radiate or a PGR, anything that's going to really help develop root growth. I mean, we're seeing, I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's almost like an automatic right now. There's no such thing as like trying to prove an ROI. It is, it is literally an automatic for return on investment because it's such a low dollar cost entry cost into getting it on the acre. It's more of like a, I, the way I look at it, you know, we sell a product called C plus graphite. You look at radiate, those two alone, you can spend $6 and 50 cents an acre on. 
And all it is is it's a – I don't look at it as – I'm starting to look at stuff a little bit differently from the standpoint of yield enhancement, okay? Every bag of corn you open has 600 bushel potential, okay? And is it below from Illinois that always talks about the seven wonders of the corn world? Mm-hmm. Weather is such a big determinant. All these things are big, big determinative. When I look at products like these, it's not so much how are we growing the yield, it's how are we saving that top-line potential. It's all about eliminating what's ever going to knock us down to the bottom. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a shift in the industry that we have to take a little bit of. It's not, if, if we're starting at 600, I'm applying these products to maintain that maximum potential of those hybrids. Because the hybrids that we have today versus 10 years ago, the potential is there if you give it the opportunity. So it's really about looking at how do I maintain that maximum potential for that crop. And, you know, that's what I love about what we're doing with our Acre Edge products and the, and the manufacturing plant at Boone is, Everything we're geared toward is about maximizing the potential of that hybrid and keeping the, you know, the cup full instead of, you know, letting the water fall out the bottom. I think of soybean cyst nematode in, in soybeans in particular as having high cholesterol. Yeah. You know, if you have high cholesterol, what's the doctor do? He gives you medication to lower your blood pressure because you can't get as much blood through your veins, right? Well, if you've got soybean cyst nematode in the roots, infecting the roots, the plants can't absorb and move water nutrients as efficiently because, well, you've plugged the artery. And so some of these products are doing a great job of helping that plant be more efficient in its water and nutrient use efficiency and uptake. Well, the last thing I really want to talk about is it's pretty pertinent to where we're at is fall fertility plans. You know, the one thing that I say that I continue to hear as a very differential of opinions is sulfur. Okay, so I would say in general, um, today our farmers have a very good grasp on P and K, nitrogen, and looking at the base macronutritionals. Um, sulfur to me today is a secondary nutrient. Sulfur to me is a primary nutrient, really was what we need to be treating it like. Sulfur, okay, again, sulfur is a primary nutrient. It is not a secondary nutrient. It is a primary nutrient that needs to be on the field or at least planned for every year, every application. And I think the biggest thing is, I talked to a lot of growers that are putting 10 pounds of sulfur on. I talked to a lot of growers that are putting 20 pounds of sulfur on. I talked to some that are putting 45 on. You know, I think some of what we're looking at is what is that recommendation? You know, and, and what do you guys see as the, you know, optimum uh, application amount for sulfur? Well, one thing that dry weather teaches us, it opens up or exposes where we've got opportunities or things that normally you might not see. So if we think about sulfur in particular, through the process of mineralization, Mother Nature's going to give us about two to three pounds of sulfur for each percent of organic matter we have in that field. When you have dry drought type conditions, you're not getting that mineralization. We saw a lot of fields starting to show some of these issues that normally we just hadn't seen. It was kind of being masked by Mother Nature's yeah. ability to provide some free sulfur. I know, Dan, you went out in a couple cases looking at some fields and it was noticeably a, a big issue. Well, we saw one field um, I was called out to look at, and um, uh, this field was taken off for silage. And the concern was that the ears were not even beer can size. They were very, very small. And um, it showed leaf symptomology that something uh, was there. So first thing I did was I asked the grower for the most recent soil test report he had. It was four years ago. And then I went and we looked at sulfur and it was two parts per million. It was way below normal. And I asked him, have you done anything in the last four years to address sulfur? And he hadn't. So that was, so for him, multiple 
needs uh, of sulfur. And that was uh, one case. And there were many, many fields when you looked at, especially in these stress years, where you could see that leaf uh, symptom of sulfur. And this might be a generalization, Brad, but I think it's really true. I've heard yields, uh, field average yields, and some of these areas were dry at 75 bushels an acre, where nothing extra was done. It was corn on corn, no trait, no fungicide, 75 bushels an acre, just up in Kazuth County, all the way to 250 in Webster County with an individual I know that really pays attention to the fertility and the add-ons that they put on. Those people who paid attention to fertility and have paid attention to fertility and stressed the last two to three years have gotten the best yields. Fertility almost, it doesn't drought proof the corn, but it certainly helps. Well, and I think that's the biggest thing. So when we look at how we're planning for fertility within Landis is we've, again, we've been partnered with Mosaic on their micro essentials lineup for a long time. When I look at that is it's a long-term transition. Every acre, whether it's corn or soybeans, needs sulfur. Um, micro Central's S10 is what we, we sell. It's got 10% sulfur, part of the mixture. So if you spread 150 pounds of S10 per acre, you get 15 pounds of sulfur. It's 50% elemental. It's 50% sulfate. Um, all that is readily available for that crop within the cropping year. Um, you know, when I look at that long term, that just has to be part of a cadence. This Every year, we're going S10, we're getting X amount of sulfur. Whatever we maybe don't get that we need to, you know, either add some extra, you can add um, calcium sulfate to the blend, or you can come back in the spring with ammonium thiosulfate. I, I think what really excites me about what we've got going on here and some of these products that we can put together, if you think about the dry weather conditions we've had right now, mm -hmm. if I go out and take soil samples right now, my numbers are probably gonna be a little bit off. Mm -hmm. In other words, my potassium's probably gonna read lower than it really is because it's dry. My percent magnesium may be higher, because the ground settled, I've got compaction going on out there. Sulfur is always a challenge because it is movable in the sulfate form. Mm -hmm. It can move that profile. We don't know what Mother Nature is going to give us through the coming winter months and spring months. Right. What I like about the product mixes we have, though, is you don't have to, and preferably, I wouldn't take my soil samples in the fall because you don't know what that weather pattern is going to do. Are my numbers really going to be accurate for the crop come spring? Mm -hmm. So use some of these products, these mixes that we have, take your yield data. There's some great tools out there today that you can plug that yield data in that will give you not just your primary and secondary nutrient levels and the removal rates based on yield, but also your micros. Come in with those micros, put that pro coat in that blend, mm -hmm. get it out there as quickly as you can. The more time you can give Mother Nature to effectively work on breaking down that phosphorus and that particular, the potash, the better off I'm gonna be. The sulfur component applied in the fall, especially in these dry fields, dry conditions, where you see inflated magnesium levels, that sulfur is gonna combine with the magnesium to form magnesium sulfate, which we know as Epsom salts. Mm -hmm. That will flush out, that will improve the, prof the profile's ability to move water and air up and down. Then you come in with like a gypsum or a calcium sulfate, calcium has a bigger molecule, so it can actually increase the porosity within that right. profile. Then come back and do your soil sampling in the spring. That way you've taken a lot of the weather variability out of what those numbers may be telling us between the fall and the spring. And if you take that sample in the spring, you can fine tune it. Mm -hmm. Having our new plant online is really exciting to me because you're gonna have the ability to actually create a specific blend 
tailored to that field based on what the soil sample tells us. All too often what I see and what Dan sees in the fall we take soil samples, we're in a hurry, and we don't get a complete analysis. Mm -hmm. So we have no idea where we're at on sulfur and zinc and manganese and all these really important micros, boron. Uh, with the pro coat, you know, we're really killing two birds with one stone. We're yeah. already going to make them pass, but I also get my boron, mm. I get my sulfur, I get my zinc. Uh, this is just kind well, of a, and I for think, lack of a better term, a no-brainer. Yeah, when I think about it, too, is, you know, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about pro coat here right at the end. But when I look at pro coat, it's an opportunity to cost-effectively get micronutrients on the ground. And one thing I think, and you, we see it all the time with the soil sampling testing that we do, we're never testing really for the full micronutrients. If you're not going to test for the full micronutrients, at least understand what the crop removal is. Because I think what we've really struggled with is, you know, on boron, it's, it's a half a pound of boron for a 200 bushel crop. You know, if you think about it, you know, if, as you're listening to this, how, when's the last time you actually applied boron to that crop? It's half a pound per, of acre, per acre for a 200 bushel crop. Again, when's the last time you actually put boron specifically tried to target that micronutrient? When we look at everything that's that we're doing with the boron, copper, manganese, zinc, Procoat product, what we're trying to do is is create a really good total farm fertility program that's all around getting that stuff right to where the the crop needs it. Or if you're not going to go that route, make sure you're looking at the products that we're then bringing to market out of Boone to help again. Um, get that micronutrient levels up. We watched the video, Dan and I were together this morning, we watched a video from a, a grower that talked about, you know, spoon feeding nitrogen's kind of the, you know, that's kind of on its back burner. Now it's all about how do we really spoon feed micronutrients and, and incorporate more of micronutrients. So, um, you know, as always guys, love having you on, appreciate your time today. And uh, we're, we're gonna be back in uh, October with another one, we'll have a lot more yield results and really be able to talk probably a lot about what we're seeing even at Farnhamville um, to kind of uh, back up our statements on when we're looking at soybeans long-term, the, the high management use of soybeans is such a huge payback. Um, and we'll have some really good re yield results for everybody on our next podcast to really explain that a little bit further. So as always, guys, appreciate you being here. Yeah, you appreciate it. All right, finally, I just want to thank everybody for, for joining us this, this month again on the Grow Podcast. Um, the agronomy segment, you know, I always love doing this. I always love talking to our customers and anybody that's listening about what we're seeing in the market. Um, you know, kind of finishing up here, obviously we'll be back next month. We're going to talk about some of those yields that we've seen out there in the field, especially with some of the proprietary products that we've been testing this year. The other thing I want to finish up on, and, and obviously you'll see a lot about it here as we go out uh, through the month on our land is Twitter, social media, is we're going to be talking a lot about our product called ProCoat. Um, Procoat's a product that Landis supports uh, through all of their dry fertilizer facilities. And it goes a lot back to the high management, high ability to create yield on micronutrients. Um, so we carry a product called Procoat BCMZ, which is boron, copper, manganese, zinc. Um, and we also carry a product called boron, or excuse me, uh, Procoat zinc. Um, so we have two products at every facility. We're, what we're trying to do with those is really give our farm customer owners an opportunity to, to really get to dive into their soil fertility and add, make micronutrients a um, an added uh, emphasis in what they're doing at a very affordable opportunity. So for Procoat Zinc to get a pound of zinc per acre, you're looking at about $4.80 an acre, okay? Comparing that to Inferro 9% EDTA zinc, you're looking at $8 an acre for a quarter percent of zinc, okay? So what we're trying to do is really create an opportunity and a consistent theme around soil fertility, 
and in a product that allows um, our growers to one cost effectively get micronutrients to the to their crops into something that is a i'm going to call it a very efficient way to get to the market where we're coating our dry fertilizers and creating um, excess touch points throughout that 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 field for the crop to actually take up and have root interception so you know when we look at a lot of these metals products that we're using uh, boron copper manganese zinc you know they've got to have root interception in the soil in order to take that up um, the only way to do that is to really get good consistent spread so what we've done is partnered with uh, the ProCoat product to then coat our dry fertilizer and get really good spreadability. You know, lastly, the one thing I would say about ProCoat BCMZ, we're recommending anywhere from a 12 to 16 ounce use rate per acre. Um, we'll put that up there on, on roughly what the costs are, but you're looking at 13 to uh, $18 an acre for that application. Um, you're going to get anywhere from three quarters of a pound to a pound of zinc, three quarters of a pound to a pound of manganese, half a pound of boron, and about a half a pound of copper. You know, when you look at a product like that, it's it's providing your entire year's worth of micronutrient um, values to that crop in one product. Um, and again, like we talked about on the podcast today, you know, that's something I think growers need to continue to look at and push the envelope a little bit on is understanding, you know, what the ability is for um, micronutrients and to really enhance your yields. So with that, um, feel free to call our Growth Solutions Center to ask any more questions about ProCoat. Um, we're going to have some notes here in the uh, show notes as well about ProCoat, as well as Microessentials S10 and how that sulfur conversion works on half elemental, half sulfate. Um, and then again, just call our Growth Solutions Center. The team there has got a bunch of information. Just went through training here the other day that I sat a part of to, to learn a little bit more about these products and really provide you guys with great information and great understanding of what we're doing. So with that, as always, appreciate your guys' business and appreciate you listening to the podcast.